Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. Alongside me today, we've got TalkSport's chief football correspondent, Alex Crook, and the former Benfica and Chelsea left-back, Scott Minto. Here's what's coming it's up. It's early days, but already Shaboslai is looking like one of the signings of the summer. I've been really impressed with how quickly he's adapted to the Premier League. Bearing in mind, I think when they signed him, we all felt they were paying for raw potential and maybe not the finished article as yet. Once he's made a decision to bring in David Raya, I don't think there was a right way of doing it. Um, clearly, there's a very wrong way of doing it. And I don't think he, he went down that route. I'm, I know the pressures on the, the, the managers to, you know, with, with clubs like Palace and below to, to make sure they stay in the Premier League. But Palace are going to stay in the Premier League. He was a left back. He was a right sided midfielder. He was a defensive central midfielder. He was a playmaker. He was everything. Well, I think he's got a problem with the Wolves fans. Um, the knives were certainly out after that throwaway defeat against Ipswich. And we have been here before with Gary. He made a habit, unfortunately, at Bournemouth of getting his team into winning positions and not quite being able to see it over the line. I think he's got a tough gig anyway. They know that. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, Scott, being a left-back, were you slightly disappointed not to be involved in Chelsea's Carabao Cup team? on Wednesday night, <laughs> when Maurizio Pochettino was determined to try and get as many in as possible. Apparently, John Harley got a call uh, to ask him about his availability. Yeah, Anthony Bonnes, uh, Andy Dow, um, Doug Rugby, but, and, and myself <laughs> as well. But because I was working for uh, for you guys and talk sport last night, I said, no, I'd much rather be where I am, to be honest with you. Uh, good news. Um, Cricket, you are right. I'm good. I'm good. Watched Everton at Villa in midweek. And do you know what? I think they might be turning a corner. I was really impressed with Sean Dyche's side. Yeah, why were you turning a corner and going to the Midlands, Crook? Um, I, I have an event in Cheshire at the end of the week. So I, I did Villa on the way <laughs> right. up and I'm doing Wolves Man City on the way uh-uh. back. Plus, as, as chief football correspondent, <laughs> I think geographically you need to you need to spread yourself, don't you? Oh, right. Okay. Uh, Sammy's setting the tone there now, not just the fact it's Ryder Cup weekend. That's got to be the rest of the season as well now. Oh, right. And he's got an event. Yeah, I, I mean, I must admit, I thought that he turned down a chance to go to Newcastle against Liverpool earlier because it, uh, in the season because it was too far. But apparently, he's got to spread his geographical wings. OK, mm. well, we'll clip that up and send that to the boss to make sure that the, uh, that the chef is on the road cooking up a storm <laughs> up and down the country. We like that idea. Um, no quadruple for Pep. How annoyed will he be by that, Scott? I think he'll be annoyed. Um, listen, you know, and he's right to say we were happy with the treble last year, but I just, I said it last night, you know, Haaland on the bench and he's saying he's tired. Well, I'm sure he can do 15, 20 minutes to try and keep his side 
in a cup competition. You know what I think about Pep. I think he's the, not just the best in the world, but one of, if not the best ever, in my personal opinion. I know that's subjective. But if that was Gareth Southgate, you know, not, not putting the top goal scorer off the bench and getting knocked out, then he would be absolutely hammered. Just saying. Just saying. OK, let's get stuck into the weekend's action now. A mammoth Saturday in the Premier League with no fewer than eight games to look forward to. football just the way we like it on talk sport Ollie Watkins with a header and Aston Villa have scored oh that's a wonderful individual goal from Caro Mitoma Premier League brilliant football brilliant talk sport brilliant oh my goodness Philip Billing has tucked it away to Saka edge of the penalty area goes past left foot is drives the ball into the top left hand corner of the net Neto Wolves lead Haaland puts it in for two he's done it again they are setting a pace that no one else can match at the moment Madison past the goalkeeper it is Salah steps up and comprehensively smashes it down the middle the Premier League always surprises you doesn't it always keeps you guessing Casemiro it's 2-0 Callum Wilson right place right time Morris steps up to the ball rolls it into the bottom corner Bedlam in Bedfordshire I love football I absolutely love football. Another big test for Big Ange as Spurs take on Liverpool at 5.30 on Saturday, this time at home. And um, I wonder whether or not we make them favourites to win this. I was at Liverpool on Wednesday night and uh, even their B team play great football now. It, it's it's a good, very deep squad that Jurgen Klopp has, has built. I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago and he said, look, I don't know what they're going to achieve this season. I don't know what we can aim to achieve this season because I'm still rebuilding it on the fly. But Liverpool 2.0 looks rebooted, Crook, revamped and rejuvenated. Yeah, certainly going forward. And I think it's early days, but already Shaboslai is looking like one of the signings of the summer. I've been really impressed with how quickly he's adapted to the Premier League. Bearing in mind, I think when they signed him, we all felt they were paying for raw potential and maybe not the finished article as yet. I think Darwin Nunez, uh, as you two have both been saying for a while, will go from strength to strength. The more minutes he gets under his belt, the more Premier League experience he gets. But I think defensively, there's still a little bit of a concern. They've made a habit this season of having to pick up points and victories from behind. They did it again in the Cup in midweek. And I do think James Madison is right when he says Spurs are not Spursy anymore. I've seen both of their last two games. I think they've got a lot more character, a lot more belief. They're certainly a lot more pleasing on the eye than they have been. So I think this will be the game of the weekend. I can see goals um, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And I wouldn't rule out Tottenham drawing 2-2 for the third time this season. I don't think there's an awful lot between these two sides, particularly with Tottenham on home soil. It's quite interesting. Um, our producer yesterday, Declan McCarthy, going down to speak to uh, Jurgen Klopp and Jurgen Klopp having a little bit of a dig, saying, well, Spurs have got a, a week off to prepare for this because, you know, they don't really do care about cup <laughs> nights, um, which I thought was quite funny. Um, let's talk uh, about uh, Liverpool's midfield because we mentioned Sebastian and how good he's been. He's got a brilliant goal in midweek. Um, he looks a very shrewd signing, but there's a lot of discussion about who should play alongside him in the midfield. McAllister, Gravenberg, uh, Jones, Elliot Endo. Jones put it right back in midweek. Elliot's got the legs. I think they need that as well. 
Um, and Endo's very good at holding in midfield. So, I mean, I think probably there's only one position to sort of fight for at this moment in time because Endo's going to sit and hold. You've got Saboshlai to the left-hand side of that. He'll get forward. Who plays as the extra in that midfield, Scott? What do you think? Uh, McAllister for me, uh, all day long. Um well, maybe not all day long because you'd have to look at, you know, real current form. But I think he's a player. I, I think, you know, I've said this before. He was Argentina's second best player in the World Cup. Um, I really like him. He was asked to play as the holder, which is he can do, but he, it's not re- his real position. So if you've got Endo holding his real position, so Wozlai playing as a number eight and McAllister playing as number eight, real positions. I think you've got that midfield there. And, and do you know what? What I would say, it's a really positive problem from midfield being a real issue last season for for Klopp. And now you're thinking about, well, okay, well, who's going to play where? And and Jones doing well, Elliot with his his legs as well. But for me, it would be Endo holding, Shabazz Lai and McAllister as the two number eights and then let the front three do their thing. Uh, Spurs have done very well. They've scored two goals in each of their last uh, uh, few league games under the Australian gaffer. In fact, all of their league games have scored at least two goals, haven't they, uh, this season? And uh, James Madison has been particularly good playing behind the striker. Son sort of filled the void left by Harry Kane. And they've got other attacking options as well, which will put pressure on Richarlison and Kulisevsky because Brennan Johnson got the nod in the North London derby. Crook, how did he play him? Would you play him again this week? Well, he played well. Um, certainly was a good outlet. What they did quite well against Arsenal, they kept those front players, Son, Kulisevsky and Brennan Johnson, very high up the pitch so that if Arsenal were coming forward, they had the opportunity to try and spring the counter. But obviously he did hobble off um, with a muscular problem. Um, so I don't know if he'll be fit for this game. If he is, I'd definitely start him. Uh, I think much like James Madison, he's a young British player who I think will thrive on the pressure of pulling on that Tottenham shirt. I think he's a player that the Spurs fans will take to their heart. He's direct. He's got pace. He's not afraid to take people on. So I think he's going to be a very shrewd addition. Obviously, he offers that versatility as well. He can play out wide. He could play in that false number nine if he wanted to. He could probably even play in that Madison number 10 role if Madison was unavailable. So I think actually for the money, I think that's quite a good bit of business from Spurs. There's a bit of resilience about Liverpool. And um, although I think you might be right, it might end up in a draw this game, they seem to be grinding out results and getting the victories that they require at this stage of the season. I mentioned it on the podcast at the weekend. 16 points from 18 in a cityless era is pretty much gold standard, really, isn't it? I mean, it, I mean it's a brilliant start from Jurgen Klopp and his team when they haven't played particularly well. Uh, what they have done is scored 21 goals in their last seven Premier League away games, which is nothing short of outstanding. Should be goals in that game, 5.30 on Saturday. On Talk Sport at 3 o'clock on Saturday, it's the Cherries against Arsenal. The Aaron Ramsdale derby, albeit without Aaron Ramsdale, who'll be sitting on the bench. But he did come up with a brilliant save at the end of the game in midweek, which basically kept them in the Carabao Cup, Scott. Um, is this a, a story all of Arteta's making if he had just handled this slightly different and been completely honest about the situation that he thought Ryan was the better goalkeeper right from the very beginning would this have all gone away instead we're just talking about it every week do, do you know what Sam I don't think he could have won once he's made a decision to bring in David Ray I don't think there was a right way of doing it um clearly there's a very wrong way of doing it and I don't think he he went down that route but if it had turned around and said okay well David Ray is my number one then everyone's going to be you know on well, why what's Ramsdale done you know how the chef's going to be as well if, if with his best mate playing golf what he'd be like 
it'd be an absolute nightmare with Crookie. But look, I, I honestly don't think that he could have played this in a in a much of a different way. Because as I say, if it had said that, then Ramsdale would have been saying, "Well, what have I done wrong?" And he could sulk. But clearly, there's a number one and number two. There, there, there aren't two number ones here. And all this stuff about substituting a goalkeeper with 15 minutes to go. That's where he comes across for me just a little bit silly, but he sees David Raya as number one, and I, I, I think it's ruthless. And that's okay, by the way. It's okay to be ruthless. It's okay yeah. to be a manager that makes a big decision. But I, I kind of think if you're going to do it, you probably need to own it, right? As opposed to sort of coming up with these stupid sort of scenarios like like he did with the, if I need a new goalkeeper after 15 minutes or whatever it is, if I need to change it, like I'd change a striker, I can do that because I've got the best and blah, blah, blah. You know, Well, that just never happens and that's yeah. never going to happen. So don't talk rubbish. Just say, actually, we've done our research. We think for this situation that we're in at this moment in time, David Rye is better suited to us. He's playing well. We're going to let him have a run at this moment in time. Aaron can stay and fight for his shirt. We won that competition. Could have been easy as that, really, couldn't it? But he decided not to do it. Does it help having... Uh, Quite a vocal support on social media, do you think, Crook? Um, not only you sticking up for him. I mean, you, I can't believe you've turned up today wearing an Aaron Ramsdale number one shirt which <laughs> over the top. But um, his dad writing on social media is that? Is that? Is that? I mean, his dad's quite a character, isn't it? We know that. He, you know, he turns up wearing his fez hat, enjoying the games. He's a, he's a, he's a loud guy. Did it help or does it not help? Only Aaron would be able to answer that, to be honest. Um, there are some players who probably wouldn't welcome their family getting involved in public spats with former England defenders. There are others who might appreciate the support. But I said it on Talk Sport on Tuesday morning, and I'll say it again. I think Jamie Carragher was bang out of order with his comments about accusing Ramsdale of being a fake. I think part of our job in the media when we're going to make comments like that is is to try and do some research and actually find out about the character. Anybody who's played with or worked alongside Aaron will tell you that the one thing he isn't is fake. He's a very genuine, very humble guy. He stayed true to his roots. And I think he was genuinely supporting his fellow goalkeeper. Scott will tell you the goalkeeper union is a very tight one, even when they're vying for positions. And... I don't think there was anything pantomime, anything theatrical about that reaction. It was an excellent save that Ryan made and Ramsdale was applauding that. So I think probably Jamie Carragher, who I think was just trying to get a cheap laugh, might regret that um, comment. But I think Ramsdale came out and proved himself in the cup in midweek. I don't think Jamie was being sinister when he said it. I think he was just sort of, you know, it was it was one footballer talking about another footballer and he's got experience in dressing rooms. He knows what it's like. I don't think it meant to cause the storm that he did. I, th- I thought his comments on Monday were, were more accurate, where he's just, just talking about the, the, the type of goalkeeper that he is. I, 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 I do want to give my opinion on this, because wh- while Jamie was probably being a bit facetious on it, there's no way that Aaron Ramsdale wants David Raya to pre- be having blinders and, and making lots of saves. Look, I've been on the bench before, and you, while you don't want the, f- the person in your position to have a bad game, you don't. I mean, I heard Danny Murphy, he was very, very honest. He was saying he wants him to have a shocker, you know, and, and make misplaced passes and that. I was never like that, but I but I wasn't I wouldn't have been clapping. He would have known that the cameras are on him and he can clap just with his hands by his waist rather than up in the air. And I, I think that was a little bit for the cameras. I'm not saying he's not he's he's faking anyway whatsoever. But he doesn't want David Raya to make save after save after save. He wants to be the number one. That's the competitiveness in, in him. And that's why he's got to Arsenal in the but first place. he'll back place. himself to win back that number one jersey as opposed to waiting for David Raya to make a mistake because that's the type of character that he is. 
but he doesn't need to be putting his hands in the air clapping. Let's let's not pretend that you know that in that situation, you wouldn't want someone to make a mistake because you definitely would. I know what you're yeah, like. But I'm a, a bad guy, and you'd be sitting on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 the ultra competitive professional footballer. And you, by the way, you have to be incredibly competitive to be a professional footballer. Not even not even at the top top level. Just to be in that professional game, you have to have that horrible nasty streak that gets you ahead of everybody else you need that innate in you um and um he, he must have had that and that then by the way that's absolutely fine he wouldn't be the goalkeeper he is if he didn't have that um anyway let's talk a little bit more about the game itself and Bournemouth well I think we probably expected quite a bit under Iriola it hasn't really worked yet they've spent quite a bit of money and they're still winless is is, is the goodwill running out. I remember speaking to the guys down at Bournemouth prior to the start of the season. They sort of went through the fixtures with me and said, look, if we get to this stage at the end of September, and we don't have any more points than we got now. We're still ahead of where we were from the same set of fixtures last year. Um, well, we're getting to that point where they're at the end of September and they haven't got many more points after that. So I suppose the next period, October and November, will define whether or not he is going to get that goodwill that has so far been coming his way, Crook. Yeah, I think at the moment the fans are still with him. Actually, they're more with him than they were with Gary O'Neill, oddly. And I think O'Neill's experiencing quite surprising, a, a similar yeah. reaction from the Wolves fans at this moment in time. But you look at the, the teams that have beaten Bournemouth. They've lost to three of the top four. They've lost to West Ham. Oh, sorry, drawn with West Ham. were seventh. They've drawn at Brentford, which we know um, is not an easy place to go. They've drawn at home to Chelsea. Arguably, that's probably their most disappointing result of the season so far. But God, I'd be gutted about that. But I, I think it will get better. It might get better this weekend. Listen, I think Arsenal will probably win the game, but I don't think it will be as comfortable as last season. They came out 3-0 victors in this fixture. They pretty much had the game won in the first 20 minutes. But if you look at Arsenal's season, it's only against Manchester United, and obviously they scored late in that game, that they've managed to win by more than one goal. They've beaten Palace by the odd goal. They've beaten Nottingham Forest um, by the odd goal. They've drawn at home to Fulham. They've drawn at home with Spurs as well. They only beat Everton uh, by the odd goal. And again, they dominated possession-wise. So I think Bournemouth are going to give them a game here. And I think Arsenal are going to have to dig quite deep to get the victory. And then Bournemouth, after this game, have got a run of fixtures in October where I think they'll really start to judge the manager and hopefully, from their perspective, start to put some points on the board. Yeah, I thought Arsenal played really well against PSV uh, the other week and then played well against Tottenham Hotspur, a higher grade of opposition. be interesting to see how this one works out, but I fancy Arsenal to to win this game at the weekend. Uh, let's move on and go back to Old Trafford because deja vu, Manchester United have got to play Crystal Palace again. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Well, Eric Ten Hag will be hoping that this edition of Manchester United versus Crystal Palace is as easy as the one in midweek, where Roy Hodgson set the tone by saying, if I think for one moment that the 11 that we've got can play a really high great competitive game on a Saturday, then play one on a Tuesday, and then play one on a Saturday again, then I'd be dreaming. So he put out some of the reserves, and I think he put it in their minds that that game wasn't very important on Tuesday night because they played it like it was just a training ground exercise. They gave Manchester United far too much room. It was the most confidence-boosting performance of the season for Manchester United, who were allowed to uh, get Mason Mount back fit and ready, and he was picking balls from left, right and centre and looked like a world-beater. Amrabat had a fantastic game. And uh, Harry Maguire was untroubled at centre-half. It was just about as perfect a 90 minutes as you could have if you were Eric Ten Hag. But it will be different this weekend, Scott, won't it? Because you imagine the unyielding Crystal Palace will be back. No, absolutely. But I, I do think, and, and again, who am I to tell Roy Hodgson what, what to do and how to manage? I do think players can play, especially at this stage of the season, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. And especially if you play the Crystal Palace, with all due respect. You're only going to play well, 43, 44 games of a well, season. Exactly. And look, I'm, I know the pressures on the, the, the managers to, you know, with, with clubs like Palace and below to, to make sure they stay in the Premier League. But Palace are going to stay in the Premier League. You know, this season more than ever, again, I keep on sort of caveating it with the not means disrespectful, but you've got Luton and Sheffield United, who I think will come straight back down. Palace will not go down. So why not give it a go? And then even ahead of this particular game as well in, in the league, You've given the psychological edge. You've given your opponents, Manchester United, who have under so much pressure going into that game. Absolute confidence coming into this one. So totally I, I think personally he's missed the trick, Roy. Um, it, it was perfect for Ten Hag. Just what he needs with all the problems that's happening on and off the pitch. And I just feel now that even if Ten Hag picks the same players and, and, and Roy picks a, a better eleven. Those same 11 players will be playing with another 10, 20% higher in confidence and you'll see the ability come through. And I expect a comfortable win here as well for United. I think Amrabat's going to make a massive difference. I think we've been saying that this uh, last few weeks uh, on the pod, that this Manchester United team that we have been bemoaning and not happy about, we we haven't seen the best of them. The attitude hasn't been right. Even Garnacho came in from huge criticism for Ten Hag, really. When you look at the quotes in detail on Tuesday evening when he said, you know, basically he hasn't been doing the work he has been sp- supposed to be doing tonight. He did that. Well done to him. And he did. He did what works a lot harder. And he's got an opportunity, Garnacho, by the way, uh, to get in the team on a more regular basis, especially with the, the issues that they're having on the other side. Because the way that Rashford's playing at this moment in time, actually, if you're Eric Ten Hag and you've got Garnacho, you'd be saying to Rashford, well, you're the senior player. You go and play out on the right-hand side. And we'll get Garnacha playing on the left-hand side because we haven't got another winger. And, you know, maybe we'll try and make chances for Hoyland. Apparently, Rashford's been working hard trying to get into the mind of uh, Rasmus Hoyland. They've been talking to each other a lot off the pitch to try and work out what makes which one tick so that they can form some sort of connection. But um, yeah, this is a group that needed a result like that, needed a performance. And those players that are coming back into the team now 
I think will make a difference for them. Will it be enough for them to challenge for the title? No. But will it be enough for them to drag themselves up the, the table and possibly mount a Champions League challenge? Well, that's something different. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think um, hopefully the, the performance of some of those fringe players will have kicked into gear the senior players who have been underperforming so far this season. Not just Ganache, I thought Pellistri on the other flank had a really good game as well. And what they did was they brought that natural width that United have been lacking a lot this season. It's been far too narrow uh, in the absence of the likes of Anthony in, in particular, and I guess Jaden Sancho, who still refuses to apologise to a lesser extent. I'm interested to see what he does with Amrabat this weekend because we had United supporting Powers bemoaning the fact that he started at left-back. Why are you chucking him in there for his debut? But he wasn't really a left-back. He played that hybrid role, didn't he? He was constantly dropping into midfield at one stage. He was making tackles over on the right wing. He was a left-back. He was a right-sided midfielder. He was a defensive central midfielder. He was a playmaker. He was everything. But he was stationed at left-back, and he would always be there. When And what I thought was really good, and I haven't really seen this for Manchester United either, is that... As soon as he came out to the right-hand side, and he did, he tracked from left side out to the right-wing position, made a tackle on the right wing. And I looked up and I thought, well, he shouldn't be there. So where, what's happening on the other yeah. side? Hannibal Medjbrid filled in at left back. And I thought, brilliant, fantastic. You know, that's the kind of thing that you need. And Medjbrid's made a massive difference, by the way, because although he's not technically the best, he reminds me a little bit of Conor Gallagher in that he's not, he's not the, the, the most technical player, but he'll do everything absolutely everything that he's supposed to he's do. A, he's a red he'll, card he'll waiting to happen though, isn't he? Absolute Hannibal. He's, he's, he's three work red cards <laughs> waiting to happen, yes. What I would say, what I would say is though, and, and, and Crookie's right to say that, and, and you're right, it, it worked perfectly against what was, let's be fair, a poor Palace side. That Agreed. is an area, if he does it again, that Palace needs to exploit. Because whether Amrabat stays as left back, he ain't a left back. If he comes out and Mesbury comes in, he ain't a left back. And if no one fills in, then you've got Harry Maguire coming out on the left. So I do think that's something that Palace will be working on and trying to trying to get in behind the United defence. I think there'll be changes for, 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 for the weekend, though. I'm not sure that Maguire will start. But if he does, I think he's done himself a world of good playing in that game on, on Tuesday night. The other thing is, of course, is that Eparici Eza is going to start at the weekend. And uh, mm. when they came on for the last half an hour, he basically was the best Crystal Palace player. Uh, and that's a different uh, a, a different weapon to have to contend with. Yeah, he was. He made, he made a difference. And I think it, it will be a tougher game. I do think United can win it. I think they can take confidence from the last two results and certainly from that performance in midweek. Just to pick up on Scott's general point, right? What is the point for Crystal Palace this season? And, and Because they're not going to get relegated. If they'd won that game, they would have been potentially three matches away from a final uh, at Wembley. Surely their fans need a cup run to have something to hang on to. Otherwise, you know, if they turn up every week just playing for 14th, 15th place, that's going to be a long season for them. And actually, I'll make the same criticism of the teams down at the bottom. I don't understand why Luton and Wolves took such a chance with their team selections. They're both in desperate need of a victory. Gary O'Neill in particular has got the Wolves fans on his back. Just pick a team to win the game and try and get some momentum because you haven't got any via the Premier League. I was at Villa, as I've mentioned on Wednesday. Unai Emery, seen as a cup specialist, he's still yet to win a domestic cup tie as Aston Villa manager. He made five changes and the body language of those Villa players for the first 75 minutes, they didn't want to be there. 
they weren't interested in the cup. And I think sometimes, and Scott can maybe back this up, if you're in a dressing room and the manager makes wholesale changes, he makes it pretty clear he's not interested in the cup. Even Pep Guardiola didn't bring Haaland off the bench when they were trying to stay in it against Newcastle. I think that can seep down to play as well if the manager's not fussed. You know, why should we try 100%? Uh, Crookie, I, I understand what you're saying, but it shouldn't happen. I'm sorry, that, that shouldn't happen. And those five players coming in, I've got a point to prove because they want to be playing in the Premier League side. So, I, I, I no, I'm sorry. If you're if you're wearing the shirt of a Villa, of a United, of a Palace, of a whoever, every time you put that on, you're judging yourself first and foremost, as well as other people judging you. So, I think they should be bang up for it. I really do. It's just when you make five changes plus, it does change the dynamic of the team, and and that's that's a big problem. But there's no doubt about it. Everyone knows the Premier League is the number one. You know, and, and then there's only the Champions League teams where you can say that's alongside the Premier League. So, so the Carabao Cup will always be behind that. But I do agree with you with the principle of Palace. Look, every season they're in the champ in the in the Premier League. I've said this before. Is it is a is a bonus? I'm sorry, it is. But they're not going to go down. So why not try and have a run in the cup? I think that's the key thing, isn't it, for Crystal Palace supporters? And you try to sort of get into the mind of the Crystal Palace supporters. There, actually. One of the things that Steve Parrish will tell you, and they, I think they often glance towards what happened at Charlton, you know, where you, let's not get bored by finishing 11th or 12th. Yeah. Let's, not, yeah. let's, let, let's not get frustrated and try to reinvent the wheel because actually when getting to 11th or 12th for Crystal Palace is pretty much like getting into the top four for everybody else because Crystal Palace are a smaller club. Crystal Palace have got a, a smaller budget Crystal Palace are traditionally not a club that challenged those European places. So for them, what they don't want to do is then try to sort of believe that things are better than they are and then end up getting relegated was what happened to Charlton. The converse side of that, of course, is Brighton and the way that they've operated and then getting into Europe, Leicester winning the league. But those things are one-offs and things that you have to structure over a period of time. And maybe Crystal Palace will be thinking about doing that as time goes on rather than, than than throwing it in. But let's move on from Crystal Palace because uh, we spent probably far too much to- uh, time talking about a fixture which uh, is only going to get a passing interest on Saturday. Uh, Newcastle against uh, Burnley on uh, Saturday. Big scout for Eddie Howe's side in midweeks. Now four clean sheets in a row. I mentioned it in the midweek podcast or on the Sunday podcast, sorry, um, that every time you throw him a bit of a challenge and criticism starts to come his way, one of the things that's changed about him Crook is actually he's come out fighting, changed the narrative very quickly. It happened just before the sort of Carabao Cup final time, and when things didn't go right there, they went on a brilliant run, and it's happened again this season. Yeah, it has, and I think that comes right from the top at Newcastle. Actually, anybody who's watched the, the documentary, I think you can see that there's a, a real togetherness from the board. You know, regularly frequent the dressing room and are at the training ground eating in the canteen with the players. I think it's their united group of players as well. And that's credit to Eddie Howe, because despite the fact that people expected Newcastle to smash their wage structure and spend hundreds of million pounds on individual players, he didn't want to do that because he wanted to maintain the harmony of the dressing room. And I think the fact he's managed to maintain the harmony and keep Newcastle on an upward trajectory is a real credit to him and his, his coaching team. Momentum is so important in football. They didn't have it at the start of the season, particularly when they managed to throw away that game against Liverpool, despite the visitors having a man sent off. And you thought, well, maybe this is going to be a tough second season. But the way they've turned it around, crucial hard-fought victory against Brentford, dug in to get that draw away from home in the San Siro, of smashed Sheffield United, and then not Man City out of the League Cup. I think they're having a, 
a fabulous couple of weeks, Newcastle. And it should continue because they should beat Burnley at home pretty comfortably. Burnley's still searching for a win. Are they getting any closer, Scott, do you think? You know, I, I think they are. I, I don't think they'll get it here. But I think if you look at since that, that Tottenham game where they conceded five, you know, they're a decent away draw at Forest. Only one nil against United where they had more possession and more shots um, than United as well. And then, of course, in, in midweek, you know, you've got, you got the, you know, the potential banana skin against Salford and, and, and they won four nil. So I think they're, they're turning things around, but, but, but slowly. And I, I do, I do think, you know, we didn't talk about them to start the season in terms of, you know, relegation issues. I, I think they'll be down there. I, th- I think it's going to be a long season for them. I think that a lot of players have come in and uh, it's taken time to gel. Um, and I don't see them getting anything out of St. James's Park. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier a couple of weeks ago about how Liverpool, for me, got away with it. If it wasn't for the brilliance of Darwin Nunez, I thought Newcastle were superb, especially in the first half. And they're creating something special, especially up there. So for them, off the back of what they did against the best team in the world, they're turning things around. They're keeping clean sheets. For me, again, this is talking about comfortable games. I, I do think this would be a comfortable win for Newcastle, but but I don't think Burnley can lose too much confidence if they lose by two or three, because I think slowly but surely they're they're getting better and better. But they do need to pick up points. Aston Villa against Brighton is our twelve thirty kickoff on Saturday. Uh, looking forward to this because uh, Roberto is. The Zerbi side are the Premier League's top scorers. They've got 18 goals scored, but they've yet to keep a clean sheet, Scott. So this should be an absolutely belting game of football, shouldn't it? I think this would be a great game. I really do. I think Villa at Villa Park. I mean, Crookie, you know, you, you can tell us and you're probably disappointed with how they played midweek, but in the league for sure, you know, they're up for it's it. Nine wins in a row in the league, Scott. Nine wins at... at at home in the ru- in a row. That's an incredible statistic for a team like Aston Villa. It is. It is. And, you know, I was asked by Adrian um, midweek about why, if Ivan Tony's being talked about with the big boys and maybe Arsenal, why Ollie Watkins isn't. And I think it's purely because, not necessarily the player comparison, I think it's because Villa is a massive club with money and don't need to sell. And, and they want to be going places. So I, I, I think this has been an absolute cracker. I mean, you talk about Spurs-Liverpool being the game of the weekend. This is not far behind at all. Yeah. Uh, Crook, you saw them in midweek. Did they have the feeling around the place that actually they were geared up for the weekend rather than worrying about what was happening in the Carabao Cup? Yeah, I think so. I think Unai Emery basically admitted that to us uh, in his interviews afterwards with the players that he rested. Obviously, Ollie Watkins didn't start the game, came on at half time. They lost Leon Bailey to injury, which I guess sums up his, his Villa career. It's been really stop-start Always it? injured. Um, which, which was a problem when they signed him, actually. Um, anybody who knew about Leon Bailey knew that he, he regularly spends time in the treatment room. Moussa Diaby was probably the one Villa player to come out with this from this cup defeat with any real credit. I thought he was excellent, kept probing. A real thorn in the side at times, the Everton defence. I think he'll have a big role to play. You mentioned their, their home run. That was their first home defeat since February. Um, so clearly, Unai Emery has turned Villa Park into a little bit of a fortress. And I think this will be a fascinating game. There have been stories, by the way, and I think there's some substance to them in Spain, uh, as we record this podcast, that Roberto De Zerbi is on Real Madrid's shortlist as a potential successor to Carlo Ancelotti. So obviously, Brighton uh, will be nervous about that. I think he's got a very significant release clause in his contract, which might just be their saving grace. But it's understandable, isn't it, when you look at the, the body of work that he's put together in a relatively short time at Brighton, I think he's only just celebrated his one-year anniversary, that bigger clubs are going to be knocking yes. on the door. 
Oh, there's no doubt. And if it's Real Madrid that come calling, it's going to be very difficult for him to release. But uh, to, 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 I think when you listen to Roberto talk about, and we're lucky enough to listen to him talk about how, why he ended up choosing Brighton, it was it was fascinating because he has to have control. He has to have people that want to work in the same way that he wants to work. He has to have people that want the same level of commitment and intensity to the project as he has got. Not necessarily sure that he's going to get that from Florentino Perez. I don't think the organisation is set up in the same way at Real Madrid. So, uh, you know, knowing that he has quite high standards and he's quite demanding of everybody else, I'm not sure at this moment in time, maybe that's something for Roberto De Zerbi further down the line when he's maybe mellow just a little bit and has worked out how he can deal with those bigger organizations i'm not sure that he will he will enjoy the same level of autonomy and uh, be able to press the owner of real madrid the way he can press tony bloom scott sam i don't think anyone controls florentino perez so i think you're absolutely spot no. on there and it will take him many a year before i think he'll calm down if you want to go sort of really aiming high, which I don't think is actually bigger than, than Real Madrid, but I think he suits Man City. I think Man City would suit and, and following Pep, Man City would give him, like they they sort of quite happy to give Pep that sort of control. And I think he'd be happy there. And in terms of the style of football, it wouldn't be a million miles away. Also, I mean, Real Madrid having uh, Roberto De Zerbi on their shortlist is not a surprise, is it? Let's be honest. They know that Ancelotti is going to Brazil in the summer. And I mean, it's a little bit like saying you know, big club need new manager, look for best in class. I mean, it's it's pretty basic, isn't it? You'd be surprised if he wasn't on the shortlist. Um, you talked about Manchester City there. Their perfect Premier League record remains intact after uh, that game against Nottingham Forest. They take on Wolves this weekend um, and they've got no Rodri. So Calvin Phillips will be hopeful that he can fill the void. City have won each of the last six meetings between the pair by an aggregate scoreline of 19-3. What's going to be harder for Gary O'Neill, dealing with um, Manchester City or dealing with the Wolves fans? Well, I think he's got a problem with the Wolves fans. Um, The knives were certainly out after that throwaway defeat against Ipswich. And we have been here before with Gary. He made a habit, unfortunately, at Bournemouth of getting his team into winning positions and not quite being able to see it over the line. I think he's got a tough gig anyway. They know that. Um, You look at Wolves summer, they sold more players than they recruited. I think they're still lacking that number nine who's going to put away the chances that they create. So it's going to be a season of struggle. And I'd like to think that the hierarchy knew that when they appointed Gary O'Neill and therefore aren't putting any early blame at his door as some Wolves fans seem quick to do. And that they will have faith in in the project, because I think over the course of the season, they will improve. We saw that from Bournemouth. They'll get better tactically as well. And I think they'll have enough under Gary O'Neill to stay in the Premier League, particularly when you look at the lack of quality from the three teams who've been promoted from the Championship. The worry is when owners start to listen to those dissenting voices from the stands, it just piles on the pressure. And in that scenario, the last team you want to be facing are Manchester City, because let's be honest, if City don't win by at least two goals, we're all going to be very surprised. I'm a bit shocked by this, and like usually, I, I would never criticise fans. Fans go and and see their team week in week out. They travel up and down the country. They watch their team, and they are the the, the better judges of their football club than the than most of us because we don't see them week in week out. But I have seen Wolves three times this season, and on each of those occasions, 
I've been impressed by the performance, if not the result. And bearing in mind that Gary O'Neill has been through the door for about six weeks at most, I'm a little surprised that despite some of those good performances, let's be honest, I think everyone was impressed by the way they played at Manchester United on the opening night of the season, that the criticism has come so starkly. I mean, why do you think that is, Scott? Is it because he's actually just a young English manager and people think they've taken the cheap route um, and they should have gone and got someone, I, I suppose they've, they they will feel looking from the outside, looking in, they've gone from Julian Lopetegui, who used to manage Real Madrid, to Gary O'Neill, who uh, got sacked by Bournemouth. That's the headline. The truth, I think, is probably, the, the, in terms of the differentials and abilities, is completely different. But is, is there is there a narrative that's sort of taken hold here, which is unfair? Yeah, yeah. look, I... I... I'm totally with you with the fans that go to see their team home and away week in, week out. They understand and are certainly entitled to have their opinion. But I'm so with you. You know, United at Old Trafford, they were by far and away the better side. Uh, Against Liverpool, they they should have scored a second goal and they could well have seen the game out. Um, I haven't seen them all as well. But, you know, they've got a decent win at, at Goodison Park. And you talk about, I mean, Lopetegui really, with the greatest respect to Wolves, were where they're at. They overachieved in getting someone like him. And the fact that he walked away and 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 said what he said shows that actually Wolves aren't at that level, not from certainly on a, on a financial point of view. So bringing in Gary O'Neill, okay, he's only been a, a manager um, for a year, but the job he did last season put him up for nomination of manager of the year, in my opinion. Nothing short of sensational. Maybe he's not the easiest on the eye in terms of the Andoni Areola, And I think that's why Bournemouth got rid of him. But this is this is a club that has had financial problems. FFP have had their best players leaving them, and is suddenly is expected to conjure up loads of wins. It, it just it's not realistic. But the thing is, people forget that very quickly. I heard a lot of Wolves fans at the start of the season before ball was kicked saying, "You know, if we survive relegation, we're happy." I think they will survive relegation. But it's amazing how the season, once it kicks in and you don't get enough wins, suddenly people start turning on Gary. It is purely because he's not a big name. And I do think it's really unfair. Uh, Well, Matthias Nunez might take the heat off him at the weekend if he plays because he will draw all the ire from the Wolverhampton Wanderers fans. And that will be uh, where they're concentrating most of their anger early on. You never know, they might get a result. Don't know. Only one game on Sunday this week due to the Ryder Cup. Uh, so we've got live commentary of Aston Villa against Brighton, back to back with Bournemouth against Arsenal on Talksport on Saturday. That's a three o'clock kickoff, the second one. Uh, the Sunday session takes you round the grounds, not only in the Premier League, but the WSL as well with Crook, Perry Groves, and Courtney Sweetman. Kurt, looking forward to that. We'll keep you updated with the Ryder Cup as well. And Monday night football is Fulham against Chelsea. I'll be at Craven Cottage with Danny Murphy and Adrian Durham for that. Cannot wait by which time we'll also have released our weekend review uh, on Sunday night. So make sure you're on YouTube Sunday night, Monday morning, and you can look back at all the fixtures with us, Crook and I, and Andy Townsend, who will join us. Wherever you're listening to us, thanks for tuning in to Premier League All Access. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. 
T's and C's apply. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 